Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Every so often, we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart and enliven our spirit. And that's my intention with this podcast. It's an opportunity for you to take a few minutes out of your busy day and listen to what I hope is thought provoking and empowering content. Each week, my guests and I share stories, challenges and vulnerabilities, as well as tips and insights on a whole range of topics all with the aim of helping us to live in a more soulful, authentic and integrated way. So thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into this week's episode. This week's episode of my podcast is a little different. Earlier this month, I was interviewed by Michael Daly on his radio show, Making a Difference, that is broadcast each week on Phoenix FM. You can tune into this station on 92.5 FM, or via their website, phoenixfm.ie. I'm delighted to be able to share this interview with you on my podcast this week. It's probably the most personal interview I've done. Michael asks me about people who have influenced my life and the events that have shaped me. In a wide-ranging conversation, I talk about career pivots and my love of writing as well. Michael is a great interviewer, and it was an open, honest and soulful conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to Making a Difference, a show here on Phoenix FM, where we get to interview the people who are making a difference in our neighbourhoods, communities and places of work for the betterment of all. A show where you will find that the people being interviewed will support, inspire, challenge and above all else, enable you to be the best that you can be when it comes to making a difference in your own life, neighbourhood, community and place of work. My guest today has made it his life's mission to help people to realise their dreams and potential to live happier and more fulfilled lives. Whether it's one-to-one coaching, group workshops or conference talks, his intention is to provide inspiration and support to facilitate positive change and growth. The insights, tools and programs that he has developed over the years will help you connect with your inner wisdom so you can continue your journey towards the fullest expression of yourself. I am Michael Daly and it is with great pleasure that I welcome the inspirational keynote speaker, executive and personal life coach, experienced trainer, podcaster and author, James Sweetman, to making a difference. James, you're very welcome. Oh, well, Michael, thank you. And, and, and what an introduction. My goodness, I have a lot to live up to. James, all true. We, we know that. Um, we, 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 we've known each other a long, long time. We haven't connected in a while, but it's all true. It's... Uh, um, if we could nearly do a show on each of the pieces of work that you do there. On, I, on, on, uh, and, and we might at some stage, James. <laughs> we might just have to. It's funny when, when you hear that, that sort of listed back to you. Um, I often say we can, you know, we're always focused on where we currently are and maybe where we're going. Rarely do we look over our shoulders and maybe acknowledge how far we've come. Um, and and I'm blessed in that early next year I'll be celebrating and I think I'll have to make a point of celebrating it because I'll be 20 years in business and uh, you know that's no mean feat you know having come through financial recessions and COVID and business pivots and somehow I'm still standing but I think based on on that intro and it, and it reminds me of what's core to what I do you know i'm very blessed to love what i do and i often say that even if i won the lotto 
after a bit of a splurge, Michael, and a few holidays and whatever else, I'd still sort of be doing what I'm doing, you know, and many in, in, in many ways, that's, a, that's such a blessed position to be in. Can we just go back then to 20 years and what it was that you were doing before you went out to go and do the great work that you were doing? Not that you weren't doing great work before, it's <laughs> that you were. So no. what were you doing, James? I started my career working in financial services. In particular, Michael, it was an insurance company. And one of my very first jobs in that insurance company was putting policy documents into envelopes because this is making it sound like old God's time. You know, it was pre-computers and you did have stuff that was printed out, but a lot was done manually, you know, and you had to match up the, the, the policies with the envelopes. And I remember I did that for about two weeks and I got many paper cuts, I remember. But I recall the manager saying to me, you know, that we gave you this basic task to start with to to see if you had you know good attention to detail and you know if you're able to follow through and all of that sort of thing and then I moved on to dealing with household claims and, and motorcycle accidents and car crashes and and all of that I suppose customer service side of things and um, but it sounds like a long time ago and I suppose it was it was over thirty years ago now but the but I loved it at the time I spent twelve years in that company and I moved up and I progressed. And uh, and made great contacts, and I studied at night time, and you know I climbed the career ladder. But as, as I often say, when I around the year two thousand, um, that's when I wouldn't say itchy feet, but that's when I sort of felt, hold on, there there has to be more to it than this. You know, I I, I had a very successful career by all intents and purposes. I was managing a team, or I was managing a department of eighty people at this stage. I'd gotten my MBA. I was well respected. Uh, the company I was with had merged with another one. They asked me what job I wanted. I told them what job I wanted. I was given the job I wanted and I still wasn't happy. So something was was missing. And I was very fortunate that I was able to, to take uh, what would be known as a sabbatical. And I went off and I did at 30, Michael, what many people do at 20 and that I went traveling and, um, uh, and, and enjoyed it, I have to say. And because I had worked, like I'd worked from 18 since I left school and um, I, I came across coaching and I came across NLP and I came across a book I remember in particular when I was in Australia be your own uh, life coach by Amanda Harold. It's, it's over here to one side. I can see it on the bookshelves. And I remember finding not that finding that really useful in terms of gathering my thoughts around what it is I wanted, but perhaps more more significantly, it brought me into the world of coaching, which I never knew existed, other than say sports coaching, and and it really resonated with me. You know, I'm a great fan of that. Um, Steve Jobs' Stanford Address. You've probably come across it going back to 05, where he says, looking backwards, you can join the dots and find the clues as to purpose in life or whatever. And at that stage, I could look back and I could see so many clues as to what lit me up. You know, even say from a writing perspective, um, you know, I've written a diary since the beginning of January 86. I was 15 every day since, you know, I've, I've, I've written things out. I often say I write them out to write them out, both spellings of the word. You know, I used to pull tip sheets from the back of magazines on 10 tips for this or when I managed people, I never had to be told to do performance appraisals or 
or work on, on people's personal development. I did it instinctively, goal setting. I did it instinctively for years. So it all sort of coalesced when I when I took some time out and could see the wood from the trees, as it were. And James, like in, in, in terms of you then, career, going places, highly successful, you take a career break. What, what, what was the next move for you then? What, 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 what happened? Did you, did you come back? Well, obviously you came back. Well, yeah, you came back to I came Ireland, back. I came back. I did, I did the, the trip around the world. Um, and I, I was someone who had always loved to travel, but I'd never done it in any significant way. And back then you could get a very decent round the world plane ticket through trail finders and uh, went off for, it was a few months and, uh, and loved it. Went off by myself, loved it. And um, I always have a memory there about phoning home from a beach in Australia. And at the time it was foot and mouth disease here. And I remember phoning my parents and they were around the fire and there was no electricity because the electricity had gone out and there was foot and mouth disease. And there I was in the barrier reef. It's, it's one of the memories I have. And there's so many stories I could tell you just on that trip alone. But um, I came back and probably from applying some coaching techniques to myself, even though I wasn't really aware of it at the time, I did set myself some goals and targets and I got a... Um, uh, a, a contract, uh, a work of 18 months, project managing the establishment of a new call centre uh, within another element of the insurance industry where I worked. And that sort of fell into place in that I went to a recruitment consultant and the, the, the company that were looking to hire someone in this area, uh, the manager there I had, I had known before in my previous existence. And he had only been in with that recruitment company the day before and they had said to them, you know, you're looking for someone with particular skill sets and we, it might take a while to find them. And um, they presented me to him the following day. We rang on the phone. There wasn't even an interview. I, I got the position for 18 months. And it, it was one of those, you know, coincidences where I think it was Wayne Dyer who said, you know, it's just angles and things lining up in the right place at the right time. It was easy. It was swimming downstream um, fell into place, uh, which so often happens when you're on your own path. Um, I did some coaching diplomas at night time then as well, or in the evening time. It, it sort of got me some um, some qualifications in that area. And then, as I say, at the beginning of 03, I made the leap. The contract came to an end. They wanted to keep me on full time. But I said, no, I'm going to give it a go. I think I'm still employable if it doesn't work out. Uh, take the risk. And I would say I never looked back. Well, I suppose I never looked back because once, once I started it, I knew this was for me. Um, but it still requires work. You know, it's um, I've probably worked harder than I've ever worked before and continue to work hard with it. Um, whilst we might have that sentiment, you know, if you find a job you love, you never have to work another day in your life. Sort of ugh, maybe true some of the time because you do love what you're doing, but it's still work. Um, but I'm still blessed to be doing the work I'm doing for sure. And it continued to grow and evolve and change. And, you know, a big part of my work now is, say, media production and social media and reaching out to uh, potential clients and, and uh, keeping the, the network up to date, you know, as well as the interview skills coaching, the presentation skills coaching, the career fulfillment coaching, the workshops, the soft skills stuff, uh, the podcast, the, um, <laughs> the writing, the books, the magazines, the whole lot. So, um, but I, I'm someone who likes variety. Michael, I'm someone who likes something new as well. So management of the status quo wouldn't keep me happy. So I do like the ability to 
to evolve and to try new things as well, which which when you're your own boss, you sort of have the freedom to do that. And James, and if it's okay, so we come to the podcasting and the writing and all that sure. in, in, in a moment. Like, we can just bring you back. You, you, you spoke there, you know, you, you sound from day one, you were a people's person. You go into an industry, it's about people. You want to see them get on. You want to see them grow. You want to see them develop personally, professionally. Was that something that can, you know, was that something that you've seen in your home? Or was that like, where, where did that come from? Was that, was that innate in you? Or was it something that you learned? Goodness, nature, nurture. Um, it, it's funny from even being, you know, from being younger and certainly from my teenage years, I, I was, people had often said to me, you know, James, you're wiser than your years. Whereas I have nothing to compare that to. Like, I'm just me, you know. <laughs> um, uh, other people had often said to me, you know, well, James, you're a great listener. Um, uh, and I suppose I can be when I when I tune in. You know, sometimes if I'm multitasking, Brian here at home, my husband might say to me, "You're not listening to me," and he's probably right. So, <laughs> um, but but people have said to me, "I'm a good listener." Um, I, I think I'm probably big-hearted as well, Michael. Um, you know, there's a sensitivity and a natural em- empathy, empathetic skills that I have. Yeah, I think I'm fortunate that I, I've I've naturally got a healthy dose of emotional intelligence as well. So it's easy for me to put myself in other people's shoes, uh, you know, to tailor communications for them, to have, a, to have a sensitivity as to where they're coming from or what might be helpful to them, um, which is a big plus. You know, that's at the heart of all communication skills and all leadership skills. But of course, there's a there's a shadow side to most things or too much of anything is not so good. So the, the shadow side to that can be, you know, we take things too personally, or we can we can struggle to distinguish between what's our stuff and what's other people's stuff. But but that's um, you know that's something that you can work on, and that's something I've certainly worked on over the years. If it changes, I'm just like hearing you talk, and here you are as a teenager, and you're journaling, and something that you've kept throughout your whole life, that sense of personal growth and your own personal growth and your own development mm. and always wanting to grow and always wanting to develop. Was that something that was instilled in you as a young person growing up or was that something that you came to experience in the home or in school or, you know, in your first job? Like, where, where, where did that sense of always wanting to grow and develop and be the, the you know, the best version of yourself? It's funny because it wouldn't it wouldn't have been something that was obvious or explicit in in home environment i was very blessed to have a, a loving uh, family um always wanting the the best for us you know i'm the eldest of four siblings um you know as as my my folks would have said i was the one who sort of had to you know break ground at each s- stage you know when you're the eldest i probably had it the toughest <laughs> certainly when i see it now in, in comparison to to the lives of some of the grandkids you know they have it very easy in comparison to how i had it but the um i don't know really the 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 origin of it i think it was just something that was always there um, my father, who who died almost two years ago now, was a farmer and then a retired farmer. And my my mom worked from home, um, and um, you know they always wanted us to be happy, and they weren't precious with how we defined happiness for ourselves. I think maybe at one level, my dad would have liked maybe one of us to take on the you know the farm and the farming traditions, but the bigger part of him knew and said that that sort of 
small time farmer setup wasn't sustainable going forward. And uh, he wanted, as all parents do, they want their children to have a better life than them. I knew when I was younger that I, I didn't want the same life, say, that my dad had, you know, working very hard in all weathers. My initial ambition, Michael, was just to work in an office. I didn't care what sort of office it was. I just wanted to work in an office, indoors, in, out of the weather. And uh, and I knew once I got my foothold in the door somewhere that I would apply myself and and the work ethic, certainly, that I did pick up from my parents has always stood to me. Um, and uh, and it's one of the things that I thank them for. And it's one of the things I really admire in them is, uh, you know, doing what needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that that, that that remains important to me. I just wanted to say a lot of mercy on your father. I'm sorry to hear that. And, and, and the... the um... We 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 we'll, we'll throw a thought to him too if that's okay throughout the the, the whole sure. interview here. I just wonder, James. There's your dad, farmer, hard working. Yeah, you got that ethic. You're a hard worker yourself. Always have been. That thing of him working for himself and being self-employed and being his own businessman. I wonder did that rub off on you and and in the sense of you going then and leaving the safety and the security of having got what you originally wanted that job in the office and more. Mm. And then leaving to go out and work for yourself. Mm. I wondered, was that something that, that, that rubbed off from your dad? Or? Well, you know, maybe I've not even considered that. Um, I, I do know, and, and um, um, I'm sure my dad is somewhere smiling at this, but um, um, my dad always had a creative side to him. And after he retired, he went off and did a creative writing course, which I sort of forgot about recently until I, I'm going back to do a creative writing course now myself. But um uh, he, he wrote a memoir um, about 10, 15 years before he actually died. And he gave the, uh, the manuscript to my sister-in-law to, to produce after his death. And we got it bound in the book and all of that. Um, I haven't brought myself to read it yet. I'm just not at that space for it. But I do know at the beginning of the book, which is the, which is the only chapter I managed to read, but I can hear him in, in every word naturally. You know, he said his ambition was to be a farmer and uh, and to be a dad. You know, and in in that regard, he was exemplary in both. You know, so it wasn't that he was sitting down doing goal setting. You know, in the traditional coaching sense of it, but he had an idea as to what it is he wanted and worked for it, and it came to fruition. And and it was a you know the natural expression of who he was, and. Uh, and I think with myself, like I, I'm not a parent, I didn't have, uh, you know, a, an inkling in that area. Um, and, um, but I didn't sort of know that I, I you know, we've won, we've won pass at life and, and I wanted to, to maximize it. Um, and it's not that I would describe myself as, you know, maverick or even entrepreneurial. I mean, sometimes phrases that other people would apply to me or even inspirational, you know, which is, you know, I'm a motivational speaker or, or people describe me as inspirational. Um, I, I'm just showing up every day to, uh, to the best of my ability. And I think that is certainly something that my dad did. Um, and um, as I often say to clients, and sometimes I can forget it myself, though, is that our definition of best, Michael, will vary from day to day. Sometimes the best is very good and sometimes the best is not great, but it's, it's the best we have in the moment. Um, and uh, and that's certainly 
an intention that I try to bring uh, bring into everything I do. You, you may well have answered this already. That that you're a ferocious reader. You're always yes. reading. You know, you're always <laughs> reading and and, uh, and 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 writing. Obviously, yeah, 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 and we, we come to books. Was that maybe from your dad, or was that something that 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 you picked up there, or was that where you the got reading? Things? It's it's funny. My uh, both my parents read. Now they wouldn't be voracious readers. My mum, when I was younger, my memory is always she always had had a Mills and Boone book beside the bed, um, and in in subsequent years she branched out into into other forms of of literature. Um, my dad would read plenty. He read loads of uh, particular genres, you know, war genres or spy genres and uh, a lot of biographies and autobiographies on, on people he was interested in. Um, for me, I, I, I didn't like, I read what I had to read in school, you know, the prescribed texts and whatever. But it was only afterwards and into my 20s that I really enjoy books. And I would probably read somewhere between 50 and 60 a year. Um, and I usually have three or four on the go at the one time. Um, and it's something that just brings, gives me great pleasure. But I remember an aunt of mine, my late Aunt May, who's, who's dead now almost 20 years. She's my godmother and uh, my mother's older sister. And when my ma- I was the eldest of four, as I mentioned, and my mom had three under the age of four, of which I was the eldest. So I spent a lot of time uh, with her and uh, she was a big reader. She was a big reader. And it's funny because I only wrote this in something recently. Um, you know, I remember at about the age of seven or eight, you know, she said to me, you know, well, James, you can have your own library when you grow up. And the thoughts of that was just amazing to me as an eight-year-old. But my reference for a library at that stage was the mobile public library that would come to the car park every second Thursday. So I thought when I grew up, I could have a big van like this with all books in the back. That's what I thought. Um, whereas now I'm blessed and that I do have what I might describe as my own library, which is a, you know, a home that's filled with books. Um, I'm always looking for more shelf space. <laughs> They're always gathering dust in corners, the pile beside the bed, the to read pile beside the bed is always massive. Um, and, uh, and then over the years as well, I've, I've contributed to it in that I've just written my, uh, my sixth book. Um, and, um, uh, but yeah, books, books are my talismans. You know, they've been avenues into different worlds. And, and as I often say, you know, books, you, you find so many of the paths that you're walking, other people have walked before and sometimes for millennia. So that can give you signposts and goalposts. Um, but also you can find in books words to maybe describe how you're feeling or to put meaning on how you're feeling and to get language that maybe you can't access yourself. So things make make more sense. Or you can see yourself mirrored in the in the characters or the lives of the people that you're reading uh, you're reading about. Um, I think it was, um, I'm not sure the author, was it Jean-Louis Borges who said, you know, I think he, he sort of said his definition of paradise would be some sort of library. And, and I think I would probably agree with him on that one. Congratulations on the, the sixth book, James. No, no mean achievements. And maybe we, can we talk about it? How, how did the writing come about? Or what was it that inspired you to, to set out on the first day? And obviously you were journaling and you were writing yes. there and then getting into, to actually say, sitting down and going to, did you sit down and set out to write a book or did you mm. sit down? 
it's uh, it's funny as i said i started to write a, a diary like an end of day journal the first of january 1986 um i think i was in fifth year in school um and it's funny i've never gone back to reread them someone else can probably try to make sense of the scribble down the road i've never gone back to reread them but sometimes it's handy you know if say a tell me mom says to me and when did so and so die or no they died or I can go to the diaries and I can find out if I can make it my own writing. Um, and I, I was always someone who who did journal as well. So if I did big trips, like even say that trip around the world, there was a big journal there and I wrote my experiences and highlights and, and all of that. And that's a great reference to have um, uh, for trips down memory lane. Um, the first book I wrote, uh, which is now out of print, or the, the, the paper version of it is out of print, was it was out in 07, Graduate to Success. And it was a traditional coaching book. And it was, I, I wrote what I would have loved to have had access to myself in an earlier part of my career. So I think there is the general sentiment, Michael, that most writers write the book that they most need themselves or they most need to read and and that's certainly the case <laughs> it's a bit like you know you see as a coach you see yourself mirrored in your clients i think it's doubly so with the books you write um and um that book how would i say like you know the way you sort of think everyone has a book in them and i sort of thought that might be it for for me and i could find nothing similar out there um, and there's so much stuff in the personal development space and and some of it is not that well written, I have to say. Um, and I wanted this to be, you know, to be punchy and to be well written. And, and I did my best. I know now if I go back and look at it, I sort of cringe a little. But that was the best in 2007. Um, then I did probably the, the my go-to coaching book, which was out in 2012, So or Powerful Questions to Transform Your Life. That was based on a Word document that I had collated for about the previous eight years of powerful coaching questions. So, you know, in this space, uh, and I'm sure you would agree that, you know, I always say people are the experts in being themselves. So all I really do is ask questions that help people open doors to their own wisdom. And new questions will open doors to, to new wisdom or new questions to old problems, that sort of thing. And that book came out of that collection of questions. Now, it's a lot more to it than that, but, but that was the, the backbone of it. And then, don't ask me why or how, but two novels followed, Michael. Uh, the Odyssey of Abraham Little in 2014 and then Finding Catherine in 2016. Um, the Odyssey of Abraham Little, sort of the big parable, sort of matching um, the Odyssey, the, the the old Greek book in, in many ways, but but using it as a vehicle for, for coaching techniques. And then the same with Finding uh, Catherine as well, who's a character who finds herself a bit lost and who goes off to a fictional retreat on the island of Lanzarote and discovers many different colourful characters and follows through on goals and different type of workshops and, and, and things and whatever. Um, and, and I often say up until very recently, that's the piece of work I'm most proud of. 100, 105,000 words, you know, haven't had 60,000 words edited out of it, you know, to keep it short and tight and punchy. Um, maybe there would be a follow one up to that. But the um, but they were they were they were big pieces of work but i i've i've got some great feedback on them because particularly with works of fiction as opposed to say how to books um the, the work starts in the imagination of the writer but it finishes in the imagination of the reader and 
on some of the feedback I get, you know, people say to me, James, I loved how you dealt with this theme or this topic and whatever. And I'm going, well, that wasn't in my mind when I was writing it. Um, but it's where the people were at reading it. So they see themselves in it as opposed to, a, a, say, a more traditional how-to type book. And then the, the most recent one, the one that's out later this year, uh, Words to Inspire, is is the first book in six years, but it's the first nonfiction one in 10 years. And it came out of a blog post I wrote when I turned 50 back in the pandemic in, in 2020, um, around 50 things I knew at 50. And uh, this expanded out of that. Um, and it's a collection of different essays on, how would you say it, I suppose on, on modern um, uh, themes that impact us, you know, around finding purpose, learning how to say no, you know, work-life balance, uh, dealing with challenging people, you know, there's, uh, you know, loss of confidence, there's coping with change, all of these different types of themes that are, are relevant to us today. And, and let's call them my musings on them. And, uh, and that's been a piece of work I've really enjoyed in the, in the last year. Um, and as you know yourself, I finished writing that probably six, seven months ago, and, and then the real work starts. But, <laughs> but that's for another day. But I'm looking forward to seeing that in, um, in its final form very soon. Well, congratulations, James, and, and every success with, with, with that. And in terms of writing, James, has there been anyone that's had a major influence on you or anyone that's like in, in terms of that's, that's, I, I, that that is informed you as a writer. Is anything that comes to mind? Well, it's 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 funny because I was only thinking of her recently. I w one of the things that I think I was saying to you off air that I've taken a bit of a sabbatical again myself, a bit of a practical sabbatical. I've been calling it in the last six months, and and part of that was devoted to to writing this book and to have the space to to do it. And I needed to take my foot off the pedal a little. And one of the things that came out of that was I'm going back to to college <laughs> for my sins as a very mature student, Michael, uh, to do an MA in creative writing. Oh, congratulations. I think your partner, Brian, there, obviously, yeah. you support there as well to, to be yeah. making Oh, very much so, very much so. And... Um, uh, but I'm going back to do that for the pure pleasure I think it will bring me, as opposed to previous degrees and qualifications were maybe more of a means to an end. And I, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And that sense of excitement of, of something new um, is very meaningful to me at the minute. Um, and I'm looking forward to being a student again in many ways and not being the expert in the room. And learning, of course, is one of the big values of mine. But to answer your question, I did an MBA in DCU between 96 and 98, so 20 six odd years ago and uh, back then for the second year of it you had to do a thesis an academic thesis and um, I did mine at the topic of motivation which interestingly Michael at the time I didn't recognize it but now looking back it's a very clear dot you know from Steve Jobs's perspective I, I could have chosen any topic and it was a particular element of motivation I chose but my my thesis supervisor was someone who has been fairly instrumental in my writing career. And uh, we, we've lost contact. I know her first name was Dawn, and, um, which is an interesting name in, in this context. Um, and I, I can't, I've tried to find her and I haven't been able to, to, to reconnect with her again. But I remember she was such a supportive, encouraging person to start with. 
Um, but uh, at the start of an academic thesis is you have to do your research proposal. So about 3,000 words, general summary of what you intend to write about and what you hope to achieve, etc. And I remember working on this, handing it in to her, 3,000 words, and then meeting with her and then reading over the table, oh my God, the red pen she had put on it. And there was about one or two sentences from the 3,000 words that were retained, or as she said, were any good. The rest had to be rewritten or were superfluous or missed the point or weren't clear. And um, I would say now I would describe myself as a really good editor when it comes to editing my own work. Um, Of course, there's times when you need a professional editor as well because you lose objectivity. Um, But she was the one who really started the, 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 how would I say, the awareness with me around clarity of thought and editing things down to their essence. So you're not, you're not saying something in 20 words and five words could, could communicate it instead. And that's something that I've tried to adhere to. Um, and, and that goes back to her as one of the, um, uh, as one of the early mentors that I had as a writer. James, that, you know, reminds me too of that thing of you often will never know the good that you've done for so many people. Here yeah, she okay. is had a huge impact and uh, maybe she might get to hear this. Who knows, James? Maybe, you know, you obviously, maybe. But it's amazing that to have that. And like in terms of the people that you're working with, that the impact you have on them that they may never get back to tell you yeah. or the impact that the people you're working with are having on others who will never get back. So we can have a... It's, a, the, it's the ripple effects, um, Michael, I think you know, you get some of it coming back to you when, you know, people might meet you or you get an email or you get something on social media. Um, we could probably take it somewhere else and discuss about how uncomfortable it can be to receive positive feedback. But the, um, um, I, I think in the bigger scheme of things, we're not sort of meant to know. You know, I think if you show up with the, with the right intention, the, the right people will hear the message in the right way for them and they will take it and run with it. Um, I remember there was at least one or two other people who who had the same uh, thesis supervisor as I did and they didn't have the same relationship with her at all. Um, they, they, they just didn't gel. Um, so so often it's, it's the right person at the right time um, and we just have to be ready and we have to be open. Um, and and I was very blessed uh, then. Um, and as you say, there's ripple effects to that. Um, and it's, you know, we're all part of, of the tapestry of life, as it were. Um, we can only look after our own thread, but maybe sometimes we're aware of the threads that, that, that cross over us. Okay. And James, in terms of speaking and being a speaker, an inspirational speaker, you're known, you're renowned as an inspirational speaker. Was that something that always came natural to you or was it something that you had to work on or was that something in, in the home or in school or, you know, was that something that you've seen? I don't think it was the home. <laughs> um, although I think people would always appreciate my take on something that sort of been wise beyond my years or, or being a sounding board, which of course is often what a coach is. Um, certainly not in school. Um um, it wasn't there in my first career, although interestingly, 
um, I remember the very first presentation I was tasked to do in in work, which was back in, I think it was 80, 97 or so, because I remember I was involved in a project that was to do with Y2K, and only those of us of a certain generation will know what that means. And I remember it was a disaster, my presentation. I was nervous. I was stuttering. It was a disaster. And uh, the the person who was the project manager, someone else who's been a real mentor and a real source of inspiration to me, a, a guy called Neil Turner, uh, said to me, you know, this was just after I spoken before break, and he said to me at break time, he said, James, you can do that better, can't you? And I sort of said, well, I think I can. He said, how about you do it again after break? So he spoke to the group and he said, James is going to give this another go. It was an internal presentation, still about 30 people in the room. And I did it again. Now, I have no real, how to say it, active memory of that. But I was delivering a workshop to about 150 people, <laughs> which is fairly straightforward nowadays. Um, and one of the people in the room was one of the people in that room 20 odd years ago. And I did recognize her. And she came up to me and the very first thing she said to me was, James, that was so much better than the very first presentation you gave 20 odd years ago, which was a disaster. And I, I, and I hadn't thought about that in 20 plus years, but it brought it back into memory and it got me to think of, I suppose, again, those ripple effects, Michael, that if, if that guy, Neil, hadn't gotten me back on the horse within 10 minutes, would I be earning my crust as a motivational speaker and someone who teaches presentation skills now. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it got me back on the horse. And I remember within a year, not that I had an appetite for it, but I remember the opportunity came along to speak at a big conference in London. It had come in uh, as an invitation to say the MD of the, of, the, of the insurance company. He didn't want to do it. It came to a director. He didn't want to do it. He gave it to me and I said, sure, I'll give it a go. You know, so within a year then I was in London speaking to about 200 people at this industry event and uh, on the topic of e-commerce, which again sounds so dated now. And, uh, and I, I would sort of say, yes, I enjoyed it, but I was still very nervous and anxious, which nowadays I can label as just being at the edge of your comfort zone and, and comfort zone expanding, etc. But it was... Um, I sort of began to realize that I, I enjoy the synergy of interacting with groups. Um, and, and I would like to think that I have something that's of value to say. And if you have the ability to say it, which is the craft of speaking as well, which of course you always have to work on. The other ingredient then that's required is the courage to say it. Um, people often think it's it's confidence that's required to be a speaker. It's not. It's uh, it's courage. It's the courage to communicate what you think is worthwhile and what maybe people would be interested in hearing or that they might find of benefit to them. James, like there you are, you're asked, you know, the, the, the MD says, no, come down, it's put to you, you're asked, and you go, okay, yes. It sounds like you're someone that just, and you talked about the comfort zone there. Was that something that always was there or something like saying yes? And that, that means getting out of the comfort zone. I'll say yes and I'll figure it out afterwards. Is, is that <laughs> sort of build the plane or the wings after you jump off yeah. the cliff. Um, I think there's, they're calculated yeses, as I would say it. I, I would try to remember that 
you know, if someone is asking me to do something, you would like to think that someone is only doing that because they believe that I would be capable of doing it. And what I've often found, and this is true in all our own lives, that sometimes we're the last ones who's, who can see and recognize what we're capable of. Others will see it in us first. So if something is, is, is it crosses my path, if, if it's a sense of, oh, there's a possibility here or does that feel like progress to me? And I think that's what it would have been back then. It, the yes would have felt like progress. Um, many things will cross my path, say, nowadays, and they're a strong no um, because it, it doesn't feel aligned with me or it's not, you know, it's not in tune with my values or it doesn't feel like progress or, or really it doesn't excite me. Um, I didn't have maybe that insight back then, but I felt it was probably good for my career uh, for that exposure. And there's still elements of that nowadays, you know, where I will do certain things to, to raise profile because I have a book to sell or, or whatever. Um, but I still try to do it in a way that's sincere. Yeah. James, there you are. Okay. You walk the talk, you're out there, you're putting it in writing, you're using the words. You're using your podcast. Uh, you're, 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 you're assisting, supporting, enabling people to make presentations. You wouldn't do it if you couldn't do it yourself. Mm. So that, that that sense of walking the talk, or you know, walking your own truth, has, has that always been to the core of what you've been doing, or is that something you've had to work on, or you know, was was that something again, you know, that you've seen in work, or you, you know, from your husband, or from your family, or from his like the value and the importance of it, if you've got to be someone who's prepared to say it. You talked about, you know, the courage to say yeah. it and, and then actually go and live it and walk it and all that. Is that, is that always something that's, 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 that's been core to you there? I think, I think it probably has been there. Maybe only in recent times can I recognise it or label it. It is that old adage, is it going back to the Bible, of to thine own self be true. Um or the truth will set you free. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I, I think what actually comes to mind on that is, you know, I, for the first, gosh, the first few decades of my life, like I wasn't out, you know, I I was closeted. Um, that's a reflection of what society was like at the time. You know, you do what you do to survive. And and I think for, for me, um, I always think it's not about, coming out anyway. It's about letting people in, I think is more of an accurate description of it. And, and I think there was a lot of, how would I say it, observation of life that I was doing. I could see patterns. I could see other people's patterns. I could see how maybe a lot of people were just following societal norms um, unconsciously. Um, and I sort of knew what was right for me and what wasn't. Now, the modern phrase for that, Michael, of course, is authentic leadership, you know, being authentic to yourself. Um, for me, that's about, you know, mind, body, spirit alignment. And it can be a very difficult thing to, to quantify. But I, I know for me, and I know where I started with it, and this might be of, of benefit to people tuning in, you know, we sort of know when we go against our own gut instinct or we act against our own wisdom. I think that's what a lot of it is, actually. It's, it's accessing and, and honouring our own wisdom that we've accrued over the years, and maybe that's innate within us to start with. And... Um, it's learning to rely on ourselves and our own judgment 
as well, I think. That doesn't mean we're we're divorced from reality around us, or that doesn't mean we're not responsive to what's going on around us. But I often think it's like our two hands, you know, we we've one hand that is our own opinion and what we want and our own sense of integrity. And then the other hand is how we engage with the world and what do people need from us and what are other people, you know, coping with, et cetera, and, and, and the empathy skills that goes with that. And somewhere in the two, there's a sweet spot. Somewhere between the two, there's a sweet spot. And I'm not in that all the time by any means. But what I've come to discover is that my emotions will tell me when I've drifted from it. So if I'm being a bit frantic or frustrated or angry or whatever, you know, the whole gamut of emotions that we all run. Um, I know if I'm feeling excited or peaceful, focused, joyful, you know, I've, I'm sort of in that sweet spot. Um, but knowing it's not static either, it's fluid. I'm, I'm just thinking like in terms of the, the, the sweet spot on moving forward now. So you've taken time off taking a step back, you've written the book. The book now goes out there. You're back out there into the world for the, the want of a, 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 yes. you know, another way of saying that. Is that like in, in terms of it's it's not either or. Like when you were writing the book, that was of its time. Now you're going out into the world and putting it out there. That's of its time. And it's, is that how it feels like? And the sweet spot was when I was writing the book. Now the sweet spot will be when I'm when I'm out there. It's funny. The sweet spot is writing the book. The sweet spot, sweet spot is the process of creation. It's the creativity. That's the part I love. Finding sentences gel together or seeing on a page. Yes, this is what I'm trying to communicate. And then there is the industry of book producing, <laughs> which is which is work. You know, that's other people's. Um, sweet spot maybe it's not really mine uh, promoting and selling the book is not really my sweet spot either but I have to work on it and I try to frame it so that if I believe I have created something that's of value you know other people won't see the value in it unless I fully see the value in it and that's not just applicable for books that's that's applicable for whatever it is we do you know it's a sense of having of having uh, you know, a sense of pride in what we do. I think that goes back to something my, my dad said or, or an uncle of mine used to say, you know, take pride in your work. I used to find that was tricky if we were picking spuds or cutting cabbage or whatever it was on the farm back in the day. Um, but I can see the, the wisdom in it now, whatever we're doing, it's, it's not necessarily what we're doing, it's the quality we bring to what we do. And I think ultimately that's what people buy anyway. It's the, it's the energy that goes into it. James, like in terms of there's the writing, there's the teaching, there's the speaking, and then there's the podcasting. It's kind of like the solitude of, of the writing, and then there's the the sharing of the knowledge, and then there's the 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 interviewing. So it's kind of like you have a, a real holistic approach to it. Is, is that fair to say? Or? Yeah, it's it's interesting. The it it, it 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 there's good variety in it, which I always like. Um, uh, it's funny when I did take the step back, I said, what aspects of it might I drop or concentrate on? And and there was nothing really that I was dropping, but maybe I was coming back into it with a renewed sense of, of purpose or or energy, as it were. But the, sometimes the way I, I, I phrase it to myself is based on the breath, like the in-breath and the out-breath. So if I'm writing or if I'm, you know, doing work on myself and my own personal development work, it's like it's breathing in or, it, or it's time to rest. It's it's taking the foot off the pedal. I'm fueling myself here. 
there's a lot of what I do that's breathing out, you know, so I am sharing things across different platforms with groups. I'm speaking to audiences. I'm working one-to-one with coaching clients. That That's me expressing to them. Um, one of the things that I have to be very cognizant on is, is ensuring that that, that that doesn't get too out of balance. Um, and that's something that had happened to me in the last little while where there was a lot that was going out and I hadn't been fueling myself. And it's the old cliches, Michael, of putting your own oxygen mask on first or feeding people from the saucer because your own cup is overflowing and all of those things, which I probably say, but I wasn't actually living. And life has a way of reminding us, you know, and uh, and I was just tired. Um, and one of the sure signs of, of tiredness and, and the need of rest is that a lot of the, the things that I was doing, which deep down I love, um, I was beginning to resent, you know. So action from a place of resentment will always lead to exhaustion. And um, uh, that was something that I just needed to work on rebalancing. And, and I'm more aware of that now, for sure. And James, like in terms of, look, you're looking well on it, James. The viewers can't see. I can see you're looking absolutely radiant there, honestly there. So, you, like, it's good lighting, I think, Michael. Well, I think it's more, James. <laughs> you, know, you can see it in your eyes there as well. You can see, you can hear it in your laugh there. You can see it in your smile. Like in terms of, thank you. Uh, you know, maybe I, I, I wouldn't be the psychic, but in in terms of the same, but there. If you hadn't been telling what you're doing, you'd say, well, that man's been taking a, a step back, doing something, whatever it is that he's been doing, has been working for him. And there you are, writing the book. And yes. Yeah. You can, you can see it in you, James. It's um, it, it's very kind of you to say that um, um, we're always toughest on ourselves, I think. You know, I, I would always say I'm, I'm a fully paid up member of the Tough on Yourself Club. Um, it's something that I try to work on. Um, I can lean into perfectionism as well. Um, today was a long day spent on final checks of the book and final uh, proofreading of it. Um, so my eyes might be just a bit glassy. Maybe that's what it is. But the um, I, I go back to where I started. I am very blessed with the with the work I do. But at the same time, I've worked hard to create it. You know. Yeah. And I'm very blessed that uh, people respond to what it is that I do. And James, like I'm just, I'm just conscious of the time here. We we, we, we could c- carry on talking all night, to be honest with you. Um, in terms, James, of the work that you do, is, can you see yourself adding anything to it, or is there that you like? You've you've written the, the how-to books, and then you've written the novels, so. You know, you're doing the podcast and you're doing the teaching, you're doing the motivation. Is there something else or is there anything else there? Or, or maybe that's an unfair question. You, you might be ready to share that with us. Is there, is there an exclusive for us? Here on, 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 <laughs> is there an exclusive? But watch this space for James Sweet. Yeah, really it's, it's funny because I've been obviously doing a lot of reflecting in the last little while. And I've been so blessed in that so many of the goals and dreams and ambitions that I had, Michael, have long since been ticked off. And uh, that's a great space to be in. But we, we continue to grow and evolve. And one of the reasons why maybe I had been unconsciously looking for a rest was to, was to get curious around what the next chapter, pardon the pun, or what the next step in involvement is, because I'm the one who has to visualize that to start with. Um, the the MA in creative writing is is one part of that. So if if I look forward, I think I can see myself doing more writing. I don't think that will 
not, I don't think that will not be part of it. Um, there will be, there's nothing concrete as yet. There's some very small ideas that could, how would I say it, just be a, a, a growth or a continual expansion of the soul, if we go really deep with it. Um, because I think the soul, the soul never wants stagnation. I think like everything in life, we, we're, we're, we're growing, we're evolving both individually and collectively. And um, uh, I don't have anything prescriptive out in front of me, um, but I'm staying curious around what's possible. That's how I would phrase it. Lovely, James. James, the one thing we always do at the end of the show is we always ask, is there a song? Why that song? And is there anyone that you like to dedicate it to? So can I ask you, is there a song? And, and, and if so, why that song? And who sure. would you like to dedicate it to? Sure. Well, the, the, the singer is John Prime. And the song is When I Get to Heaven. And John Prime is not someone I had really heard of myself. He's um, an American singer-songwriter. Uh, but he's someone that my dad really loved. And I think my dad only came across him in, in latter years. And uh, my dad loved listening to him. And um, as I say, my dad passed away in September uh, 20, you know, after a year of, of dealing James, with James, can I ask you that name? Would you mind me sure, asking? It's, shame, it's shameless. Um, after a, a year of dealing with pancreatic cancer, um, whilst COVID was going on at the same time. So it was, a, it was a very challenging year, but his his wish was to spend his last few weeks at home, which which was possible, which was great. And one of the, the memories is, you know, him having his phone and uh, John Prine's albums playing on it. And um, there, it was sort of sad too, because John Prine himself died just about six months before my dad did. Uh, he'd been in ill health, but he had he had died of COVID as well. And there's a he's many songs. There's an irreverence to some of his lyrics. Um, a real poet as well, I think. Um, but when when I get to heaven is was one of my dad's favorites. And actually, we have that line um, on part of my dad's grave as well. So it was a quote from from the the psalm. Um, and now um, it, it's interesting. My mom gets great comfort from listening to the John Prine songs as well, um, which is which is equally nice. James Sweet, on behalf of Phoenix FM, as indeed all of us here at Making a Difference, our heartfelt thanks for talking to us today. We wish you every success and best wishes for the future. And thank you for making a difference. Oh, gosh, my pleasure. So my thanks to Michael Daly and his colleagues at Phoenix FM for letting me share that interview with you. Remember, you can check out the Phoenix FM website, phoenixfm.ie, or tune in to them at 92.5 FM. I'm hoping to return the favour with Michael in the coming weeks and invite him onto my own podcast. Michael is an author himself, and his new book, Showing Your True Colours, is out now. You can find out more about Michael on his website, michaeldailyireland.com. So I'm looking forward to chatting to him and reversing the tables in a few weeks' time. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode and have a moment, please rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe you'd like to share it with a friend too. 
For more information about me, James Sweetman, my coaching services, workshops, books, and for more podcast episodes, be sure to visit jamesweetman.com.